0: This is a Timit podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. The title of this episode is Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger. Oh, why did this have to happen to my family? "'cried Derek, his head in his hands, his coffee untouched. "'Why can't my daughter just be normal?' "'Quark looked up with concern from under the table, "'disturbed by the anguish apparent in Derek's voice. "'He thumped his tail uncertainly. "'Was was something wrong? "'What did this mean for the impending walk?' "'Well, look at it this way,' I offered. "'Ruth is fifteen. "'If she were a child prodigy or an Olympic athlete, "'you'd think it was a good thing.' Oh, she might be those things anyway, Derek moaned. She was by far the youngest member of the All-City Band when she joined, and she's a captain of the school volleyball team this year. But those are nothing compared to this. I mean, I'm an accountant, and her mother is an economist. Well, we can handle the basic math, but, but science! How could this happen to us? I chose my words carefully. You may have to consider the possibility that your daughter, that your daughter is, that your daughter is smart, maybe even smarter than you think. Derek sighed. Look at it this way, I said. Ruth's project on creating super-bonded interlocking ice crystals with magnets two years ago, well, Highways and Public Works ended up using her recommendations to build the ice bridge at Dawson. And her project last year about taking carbon out of the air and turning it into building materials well, well, sure, it wasn't completely successful. She only got enough carbon to make a few black marks on paper, but the project still attracted the attention of that research group at McGill. Didn't you say they were developing the idea further? So I think that yes, maybe she actually is pretty smart. Oh, yes, yes, of course, but, but we're setting her up for failure, exclaimed Eric. She won first prizes for both those projects, but she has no clue what to do this year. I mean, how can she top all that? Even if she does something wonderful, but then doesn't get the prize, it'll be a real letdown. There are lots of smart kids out there, and some of them actually have smart parents, parents who understand science, and can give them some help. But she hasn't even started yet. Last year, by this time, she had things well underway, and the science fair isn't that far off. She did pretty well on her own the last few years, I reminded him. But you helped her, protested Derek. You're an engineer. You understand all that science stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm an electrical engineer, I cautioned. I know very little about ice crystallography, and even less about carbon capture. Sure, I was able to give her some ideas about the scientific process and organizing her results, and I helped with the temperature logging setup. But that was pretty minor stuff. She had all the ideas and did all the work. Well, please, can you talk to her again this year, pleaded Derek, to give her some ideas so she can get on with her project? Hopefully nothing too crazy or expensive. You can't imagine how much that cryogenic cooler cost. But it has to be something extraordinary. A winning project. She has no ideas. Two days later, it turned out that Ruth had lots of ideas. She was sitting with her father at my kitchen table. Harry Potter, she said. In Harry Potter, they had lots of spells and potions. Maybe I could do a science fair project on spells and potions. Okay. How could I focus her towards something more practical? Or should I even try? There probably wouldn't be too many other science fair projects based on Harry Potter spells and potions. I was wary about stifling enthusiasm though. I'm not so sure about spells I ventured and potions probably involve a lot of chemistry. I know something about battery chemistry and hydrocarbons but I wouldn't even know where to start with potions. But remember the scientific method. Your project has to have some hypothesis that you prove or disprove with experiments. For both spells and potions, you probably have to try them out on people, or maybe animals. Quark shifted uncomfortably under the table, as I explained the ethical challenges of experimenting on humans or dogs. Okay, so what about Star Trek, then? asked Ruth. You know, like warp drive. Warp drive, snorted Derek. Yeah, right, impossible. I glared at him and shook my head sternly. Remember, the only way to have lots of good ideas is to have lots of ideas. Derek said nothing but glared at me angrily. Yeah, so what about warp drive, demanded Ruth. So we discussed spacecraft propulsion, how a rocket depends on ejecting mass one way to accelerate the other way, action and reaction. Sooner or later, depending on the size of its fuel tank, It runs out of mass, and that's a problem for long trips. But harnessing the Woodward effect in a field propulsion engine could generate reactionless thrust. Uh, In theory, anyway. Nobody actually had one of those running yet. Ruth was fascinated. This was a whole new idea that nobody knew much about. Is that how they do it in Star Trek, she asked? Her father rolled his eyes. Well, they never really explain how they do it in Star Trek, I replied. Someone needs to figure it out. "'Wow, this sounds like the basis for the perfect project!' exclaimed Ruth. "'Way more exciting than making a better ice bridge or turning CO2 into building blocks. "'But it sounds like I'm going to have to do a lot of research. "'Thanks to the idea! This is great! i got to start right away!' Ruth made a quick exit, almost at warp speed. Her father was slower and less enthusiastic. (laughs) "Humph," Woodward effect! Is that even a real thing?' he asked. "'Of course,' I replied. You know, the speed of sound, Mach 1, Mach 2. That was named after Ernest Mach, a friend of Einstein. Well, the Woodward effect is also known as the Mach effect, named after the same guy. Look it up. Or give Ruth a couple of days, and I'm sure she'll be able to explain it to you. Yeah, and so I suppose the family will be off to Vulcan for spring break, observed Derek. He shook his finger at me as he left. If there are Klingons in my kitchen some morning for breakfast, it'll all be your fault. I really hoped there would not be Klingons in his kitchen. I'd been around the galaxy long enough to know that Klingon cuisine was pretty specialized, even though it didn't involve much cooking. Ruth showed up at my door about six weeks later. My dad doesn't know I'm here, she said, but my mom suggested I come over and show you what I've got. She scratched Quark's ears and came into the living room carrying her backpack, which she set down gently beside the sofa. Okay, So I read up everything I could find about the Woodward effect, she said. I decided that a mock effect thruster would be really hard to build and test in my bedroom. And besides, my dad kept making lame Star Trek jokes all the time. So I dug a bit further and discovered there is another possible mock effect. Curvature of space-time. I reprogrammed the Arduino controller from last year's temperature logger, and my mum paid for a bunch of piezoelectric actuators that I ordered from Amazon. You can get anything on Amazon... So then, well, let me show you. It'll be easier. She stood up and carefully put on her backpack. I hadn't really examined it when she came in. The round, black, piezoelectric devices were attached in rows down each of the shoulder straps. There was a bank of them along the top of the bag, and another bank on the back. I saw a wire hanging out of the bag. It had a doorbell button on the end, which Ruth grasped in her hand. She looked down at the button a bit self-consciously. Yeah, it's from Canadian Tire, she said. And the battery and the Arduino are in the bag, connected to the piezos. Now watch this! Ruth moved to the center of the living room and tightened her grasp on the doorbell button. There was a flicker, and Ruth almost disappeared. I say almost because I could still see a vague outline of her in the middle of the room, but I could definitely see through her the bookcase on the other side too. After a few seconds, the shadow of her hand released the shadow of the button. Ruth flickered back to normal. Ta-da, she crowed. Uh, I said. So I decided I would do Star Trek and Harry Potter, she said. You know, the Romulan cloaking device and the Harry Potter invisibility cloak. Uh, I said, uh, uh, how does it work? Simple, she said, and flickered out, tracing a ghostly purette from one side of the living room to the other. I could see her outline move. There was something disturbing about the light around her. Sort of like when you notice out of the corner of your eye, but when you look closely there's nothing. Uh, or something like that. It's difficult to describe. Ruth reappeared. uh... uh... I said again, suddenly aware I wasn't being too articulate. I can see it works, but how does it work? What makes it work? Oh, I don't quite understand all of it, replied Ruth. I think it makes a fold in space and most of the light just goes around. That's why I'm mostly invisible. But it's not perfect and some light goes through. The first one I made was in a box and when I turned it on the box disappeared. had to wait two days until the battery ran out before I could get it back. Uh, well, okay, so so what makes the fold in space? Oh, that, said Ruth. The Arduino drives the piezoelectric devices in patterns to make waves, and those waves bump into each other to make standing waves. Those standing waves modulate gravity, like a transistor, to make a negative energy density, and that makes the fold. Uh, I see. And this is your science fair project? Well, for the project, I'm studying the different parameters, like the variables and the relative placement of the piezos, and how the Arduino drives them in different patterns. I'm using a flashlight for measuring how much light gets through, and when I'm on the inside, it's kind of hard to see out. It's not perfect, because the piezos on the backpack move around when I move, and that changes their pattern. And the speed of the Arduino is important. Faster is better, I think, but I got it maxed out now. Even before the science fair, Ruth's invisibility backpack made it to the news. Derek filled me in on all the details, because the newspaper reporter's understanding of the Woodward effect was less than comprehensive. She was down at the Super A grocery, selling raffle tickets for the volleyball team. The store was pretty much empty, and nobody was buying any tickets. She had her uh, magic backpack with her and decided to try it out, moving around the store. She was right by the gas bar counter when a tough-looking guy with a knife came in and held up the cashier. When he put the knife down for a moment so he could stuff the money into his shirt, Ruth reached out, grabbed the knife, and pulled it uh, inside the the thing. Like so it disappeared. And then the staff tackled the man and called the police. So it sounds like this Romulan technology is useful after all. I kidded him gently. No, no, the worst part is not the science, he said. It's just that she... She was not alone inside the the thing. Her friend David was with her and she said they had to scrunch up really close and hold each other tight so they would both be invisible with just one backpack. Invisible! Nobody could see what they were doing together inside. I chose my words carefully. You may have to consider the possibility that your daughter... that your daughter is... that your daughter is normal. Maybe even more normal than you think. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T-I-M-M-I-T dot CA slash podcasts.